that Lord willing will go on each night. So tomorrow night, which is Friday, we'd love to see you out Friday. Some of my family might come. They rarely ever come anywhere. So um, they said they'll be here tomorrow. It doesn't mean that you don't have to come. You can still come. Um, Friday night and then Sunday night at 7.30. And next week, Lord willing, Monday to Friday at 7.30. We know some maybe won't be here next week because of other obligations, but we'd still like to see everyone come back and to bring others with you. And so we're going to continue on tonight as we have in the same chapter, Isaiah 53. And tonight we'll be at verse 4. But before we read that verse, we'll ask for God's blessing on our meeting. And we'll pray. Our Father, we come this night and we give thanks once again for all the things that you have done for us today that we haven't recognized. Um, all the safety that we have enjoyed, uh, the peace that we have and the family that is around us. So many of these things that we take for granted. And yet maybe most of all, as we come here tonight, we think of the salvation that we have that no one can take away from us. Uh, given to us by the God of heaven because of what your son has done at Calvary. And tonight, it's our greatest desire that there would be someone else in our meeting tonight that would know the forgiveness of their sins and that they would know your son as their savior. And we're thankful that this is just what you said would happen when the gospel is preached uh, and the Spirit is able to convict people of their sins and their wrongs. Uh, and we're thankful, Lord, that in all this, your Son is glorified. So help us tonight as we'll open up your word. We ask to bless this meeting now as we ask in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to read Isaiah 53. We're going to read verse 4 tonight, verse 4. These next couple of nights, tonight and Friday and, and Sunday night, are, are some of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. And each verse that we're going to read, 4 and 5 and 6, it's like they all go together. And yet we're going to separate them each night. But in each one of these verses, uh, the gospel is so clearly brought out. And I would say each one of these verses would need nothing else to complement it for you to be saved. Sometimes I imagine if we only had this one chapter, if we didn't have the rest of the Bible, if we didn't have the other 65 books, and if we didn't have the other 65 chapters of Isaiah, this chapter would have enough in it to see your soul saved. It's an amazing chapter, so we're going to read verse 4 tonight of Isaiah 53. This is what the prophet has said. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem, we talked about that word last night, we did value, or we, we kind of made a conclusion about the whole thing, and we thought this, this is what the writer says, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We're going to go over those words, so in case you don't know what they mean, we're going to talk about them a little later on me. We'll read the verse one more time. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I like the chapter, as I've said. It's my favorite chapter. I got saved through this chapter. And so this means a lot to me. And a lot of people have gotten saved through the verses that are in Isaiah 53. But when you look at Isaiah 53, there's something here for everyone. If you're a like you like poetry, 
tonight. So much of this is seen in that, that poetic form. You like poetry, something here for you. If you like prophecies, I love the future. I love what's going on in the future. Well, there's prophecy here too, something for you. If you like a song, that there's something here because we said it's a song that, that, that can be sung. And we've actually sung a lot of hymns based on this chapter. If you like stories, this is one of the greatest stories that's ever been told from verse 1 to 12 about someone who was unrecognizable. And at the end of the chapter, he's going to be recognized by everyone. Not only that, there's something here, and you'd say it's fresh. It's like it just happened. It's like it just happened. And you know what? Not only is it fresh, you might not know this, but there's probably millions and millions of kids your age, and they're not allowed to read it. It's forbidden. It's fresh, and you know what? To a lot of people, it's forbidden. They're forbidden to read this. You know, that always, whenever my parents said, don't do that, you know what I wanted to do? Wanted to do it. So when you tell someone you're forbidden, you can only imagine there's a ton of people on earth right now, a lot of kids, and a lot of adults, and they've been told, do not read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And in their head, they're probably saying, I don't want to read it because someone's told me, do not read it. Oh, I wonder what's in it. And just think tonight, no one tells you that. You get to open your Bible and read from it. No one's saying to you, don't read it. In fact, we're saying just the opposite. We're saying, memorize it. Because in this chapter are truths that could lead you to salvation. Our verse tonight, what is so significant, is I like the way it starts. It starts and it says, surely... You ever heard of something that someone says, absolutely, it's, it's guaranteed, this is something that is true, it's actually as close as we get to the word, amen. You ever hear someone praying, they say, amen, say, why do they say amen? You know, amen means, let it be true, but, but we, when we pray, you know, we say, Lord, uh, you know, let, let me pass my test tomorrow, amen, right? Because we don't know if we're going to pass or not, so we just say, let me pass my test tomorrow, let it be true. But you know, when the Lord Jesus, when he spoke, he put the amen in the front. He said, let this be true. And then he said something. You know, it was like he knew it was true. And it was true. Because when he said it, when he said something, it was absolutely true. And so our verse tonight, it doesn't say, well, I hope this is true. It says, amen. It says, surely this is true from the beginning. There aren't a lot of guarantees in life. Think of something that you know is guaranteed. If I had said to you, I want you to turn your, your page over, I want you to get a pen out, and I want you to tell me something that is guaranteed, absolutely. You'd say, the list would be very small. In my work, I've been working at the same job now for uh, almost 19 years. I think there's one thing that I say, I guarantee that for life. And when I say that to people, their eyes get big. They love that. People love lifetime guarantees. They love that. It doesn't matter what it is. You can sell them a golf ball. You leave that golf ball on your lawn, lifetime guarantee. Feel it. That's great. How much? Lifetime guarantees are, are, are the rage of all of the marketplace. Something that you could have that will never, ever go away. Nothing could ever diminish it, take it away. Lifetime guarantees. I, I looked on my phone before. I actually own a pair of socks. I can't tell you the name of them because I, I think it's almost a bad word, the name of the socks. But they're tough socks, but they put a word in front of that. But these socks you can buy. Lifetime guarantee. Anything happens to them, you send them back, they send you a new pair. 
I didn't know that until actually just before a meeting when I was on my phone and I thought, I gotta go home and look at those socks, see what they look like, see if it's really true. Now maybe I didn't even know that what I had actually had a lifetime guarantee. Well, this verse, it starts out by saying here, here is something, when you listen to these words, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed for a lifetime. It's guaranteed for an eternity. What we're about to read here is guaranteed. It's true. No one can make it untrue. And no one can say that this is not true because God has said it and we get to listen to it. And the verse says this, surely, not maybe, not I hope so, not I'll do my best. That's like the language we use. That's weak human language. This is God. And he says, surely, he. When you read through Isaiah 53, you go home and read it tonight. You know what you read over and over and over again? If you read it once, I bet you read it 40 times in this chapter. 40 times you'll read this little pronoun. He. Him. He bore our, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was despised. He was rejected. He was wounded. Over and over again, you read this, he, 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 and you're, all of a sudden you know this, salvation is not a what, salvation is a who. Christianity is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is Christianity. And so if I ask you tonight, are you saved? You said yes. And then I said, well, what is it that you have? And you began to tell me about something. That's not salvation. Salvation is someone. Jesus Christ, it's having him as my Savior, and he has me. But a person, a lot of times, religion tells you you can have something. But Christianity tells you you can have someone. A man who died for your sins. And so, guaranteed, surely, he... And then the verse says this, he bore, or he took. You know, the verse, when we look at it, the language in the beginning here is something that is kind of succinct, and it says just two things there. It says, surely he hath borne our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. You think of grief and sorrow. We talked about grief and sorrow last night a little bit. But when you think of grief, when you think of sorrow, Tonight, when you look at those words, and maybe it's not just clear here, but when you look even at the language that these words came from, grief is all about something that's inside. Something that's inside me, actually. It even has the idea of sickness sometimes. Something that's inside me. These are, these are things that sin has caused. And the word sorrow, the word sorrow is things that are outside, they're all around me, but still, all these things that I see around me that, that sin has caused. And so it has these two words about what is inside of me and what is outside of me. And it, it, it's, it's, I love that it says that. And it says that the Lord Jesus took care of both what was inside of me and even what was all around me. Because when I think of sin, and when I think of what is wrong, I, I, I sometimes want to point to where sin is. You ever open a newspaper and you see something? Uh, I often, sometimes when I drive down the road or I go places and, and you see someone that has done something wrong. You go by a prison, it's easy to go, sin. And uh, if you see someone get pulled over, how many of us on the highway have seen someone get pulled over? You know what we love to do? We love to drive by and just go, 
sin, sin right there, right? You just shake your head. You look at it. Or even at school. Think about at school sometimes. The one kid, I remember one time in one of my classes, the professor got up and said, someone has plagiarized. And I was, I was so afraid. I didn't even think I knew how to plagiarize. But I was so afraid it was me. And, and he said, he went to the kid's desk and he put the paper down on the kid's desk. And that kid had to get up and walk out. And we all shook our heads. We said, sin. You know, it's easy to do that. It's easy to point to places and to people and to things that are outside of us. All these sorrows all around us that's outside and say, look at all that sin. But you know the place where sin is its greatest? Sin couldn't get any more. It's right inside here. Right inside me. Sin. Right inside here. You say where? Where, where is sin the greatest? You know, the Bible, uh, it's, in a, it's in the Gospel of Matthew. You can go home and read it. Matthew 5, and the Lord Jesus says it again in Matthew 18. He says, if your hand, if it causes you to sin, chop it off. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Lose your arm. Don't, don't, don't end up perishing or in hell because of a hand that caused you to sin. He goes, if your eyes, if your eyes are going to lead you to, to look at things or to sin, just get rid of them because it's not worth it. He says, if your feet are going to bring you to places that will make you sin, he goes, get rid of them. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You say, oh, Dave, but, 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 but getting rid of my hand, that's a big deal. And my leg, you know, let me, let me let you in on a secret. Even if you got rid of your legs, and even if you got rid of your hands and your eyes, you'd still sin. Because the problem is not in your hands or your legs or in your eyes. Your problem is right in your heart. You were born that way. And so was I. You know, the psalmist tells us that I was born a sinner. You say, that's just not fair. You know, sometimes when you read about people and they were born, and, and you think, that's just not fair. Where they were born, there was no good schools. Where, where they were born, uh, they didn't have any friends around them. You say, it's not fair where they were born, or it's not fair how they were, because they just, they, they, we all got a head start. We, 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 we had good schools, and we had good friends, and we had good families. It's not fair. And sometimes people think that. They say, if, if people are born sinners, it's just, that's not fair. It's like, like they didn't even have a chance. No. You think about it all wrong. Let me tell you this. When I was born on August 20th, 1983, when they took me and placed me in that little bassinet, you know what they could say? They could say, David T. Zunema. They could say, 8 pounds, 6 ounces. You know what they could say? Sinner. You know what, you know what I was guaranteed on that day? I was guaranteed that I was already someone for whom Christ died on day number one. I was already guaranteed the day I was born that I was someone who Christ died for. You know, it took me 15 years to figure that out. But thank God I did. That I found out on a Tuesday night in November in the year 1998 that I was a sinner and I was actually one of the worst. But thank God that's who Christ died for. The sins that are within me it's, it's there. I can't deny it. I want to point outside here, but the problem's inside. 
The problem is right here. And, and even though I want to blame other people, and I want to blame my eyes and my ears and my hands and my feet, I can only blame myself. It's in my heart. But thank God that the one qualification for salvation is not that you're good, it's that you're bad. I say the badder the better, but I don't know if that's right English. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save good people. If you're trying to be good to get to heaven, you give up now. Because in my heart and in yours is something called sin. We'd be embarrassed if people knew what we were thinking. We'd be embarrassed if people knew some of the things that went through our minds here today. We wouldn't want to tell anybody about that. In fact, if you told me what you were thinking right now, I bet you we couldn't be good friends. If you told your dad what was in your mind, you'd say, oh, you'd almost think what was going to happen between your dad and you. If you told your best friend sometimes the thoughts and the things that are in your head, you'd say, would you still be friends? Because if people know what was inside me, it would be very hard for us to be close. But you know, it's just the opposite with God. God knows everything that's in your mind. He knows everything that's in your heart. And he loves you all the more. One of the songwriters has said, fully known and fully loved. That means he knows everything that has gone through your mind today, everything that's gone through your heart. And he loves you all the same. Why? Because he wants to save you from that. He wants to save you from sins. He doesn't want to save you from just a, a, a life that's boring. He doesn't want to save you from uh, some type of difficulty. He doesn't want to save you from, maybe you, you feel like you're sick. He doesn't want to save you from, from just a, a bad education. He wants to save you from the one thing that is most important to get rid of in this life, and that is sin. And so the verse says, surely, surely, he has, he has borne, and he has carried these sins that are on the outside and these sins that are on the inside, griefs and sorrows. That verse is great, that he has borne them. You know what it means? To borne them, it means to take something off the ground and to place it on your back, almost as though you could, you could take a burden and lift it and put it on your back to, to, to bear something. He bore it. And then the word carry, to take something and not only to put on your back, but to actually remove it. So if it was there and I put it on my shoulder and I, I brought it somewhere else to carry it away. You know, it's just what the Lord Jesus did. 1 Peter 2 tells us this. He bore, that means he took our sins and he placed them on his own body. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Psalm 103 tells us this. He doesn't treat us he doesn't treat us for what our sins deserve. Our sins deserve that we would be in hell. He does not treat us with what we deserve. Instead, it says, he has removed our sins and our iniquities from as far as the east is from the west. If you can measure that, I'd love you to tell me later on. How far is that? You say, no man knows. And so the Bible tells me that he bore, he took a sin, and he placed it on himself. And he carried it away. He removed it from me. Surely he has done this. It's guaranteed. Has he done it for you? Has he done this for you? You say, oh, uh, he's done it for everyone. He's done it for everyone. You just told us, Dave, he, he did it for everyone. You said he did it 
he, he, you said when you were born, you were already someone that he had. You know, I can close my eyes tonight and I can point to anybody in this audience and I can say, Christ died for you. And Christ died for you. Someone come in tonight and I didn't know them. I never met them before. I'd never seen them or heard them. I could point right at them. I could go, Christ died for you. But you know, not everyone is in heaven. Why is that? How come everyone doesn't get home? Why? If anybody who walks through those doors tonight, and everybody who's sitting here, I can say, Christ died for you. Surely, surely he has taken care of your sins. The sins that are inside of you and the sins that are outside of this world. You say, surely he has done it. How come... How come there are going to be people who leave here tonight and they're not going to know for sure that they're going home to heaven? You know, the next part of our verse tells us that. It says, we thought, we thought we knew what was going on at Calvary. We thought we knew. We said, we esteemed him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. That word stricken is like when you see someone get hit as hard as they possibly could to be, to be hit. Whether with a closed hand, which happened to the Lord Jesus, hit as strong as he could. That, that word smitten, stricken, to, to, be, to be thrown down to the ground it has. The word afflicted is, is, is sometimes we say someone gets thrown down and then they're actually, they're actually hurt and abused when they get thrown down. Those words are some of the most violent words that we have in our Old Testament. And you'd say, maybe the writer was just trying to use words that would catch our attention. No, actually, he was using words that were so true about the Lord Jesus at Calvary. That he was hit. We know what men did to him. But you know what is more significant? Maybe you don't know this. He's not speaking in these words about what men did to him. He's actually talking in these verses about what God did to his son. You say, oh, why would he do that? You ever, you ever see someone getting punished? Uh, sometimes I've seen it here. I've seen a father, maybe someone was bad, and, and, and so they're, they're getting punished. And you say, oh, he deserved it. I, I saw what he did. I, I, I saw the one time he hit his brother, and of course he's going to get punished. And, and a lot of times when we see people, I, 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 I've, I've had to go to the courthouse a couple times, and, and you see people who, who, who get what they deserve. They're getting punished. And you say, they deserved it. They deserved it. This verse says here, this is not what men did to the Lord Jesus. This is what God did to him. And our verse tells us, the people, they looked at it and they said, he's just getting what he deserves. He's just getting what he deserves. That, that's what they thought. When they looked at Calvary, they looked at Jesus Christ on the cross. When they saw all that happened to him, they said, he is getting what he really deserves. Because why would God do that to someone if he didn't deserve it? Isn't God, we say God's, God's just. He's, he's more than fair. He's just. He doesn't do anything that's wrong. He, God never does an action that he regrets. He, he never does something that says, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. God never does that. He makes no mistakes. And so when God treated his son, Jesus Christ, this way at the cross, some people looked at it and they said, God doesn't make any mistakes, so he must have deserved it. You, you know the truth, just like I know the truth. But I wonder if you have believed the truth yet tonight. I wonder if you believe this. You believe that what is said here is true, and that it's true for you. 
that when God was punishing his son, it wasn't because he deserved it, it was because I deserved it. It wasn't because he had done anything wrong, it was because I had done almost everything wrong. And actually, Jesus Christ was just getting my punishment. So the next time you think of the cross, and you think of these really violent words about someone getting just crushed, you could say, he didn't deserve it, I did. But here I am, and there he is. Why? Why? Why in the world? Why, why, why would that ever happen? Why, why would God do that? Sometimes I, I think of this world. What are there, seven, seven and a half billion people on earth right now? You think of all the people who, who curse God. You think of all the people that we were talking about that we say, look at those sinners. People who are just killing each other. People who hate each other. And you say, this is, this is who he did it for? This is, this is who he died for? You ever, you ever do something for someone? You do something nice? You, you clean up someone's front yard? Or you do your good act? And, and you're almost thinking, they're going to give me some money. Or they're going to say thank you. And, and they're going to do something nice. And then it'll all be worth it. You know, this world has, has gone on for so long. And, and really, very few people have ever said thank you. Have actually ever said, this is this was so great. And you have the opportunity tonight to see that God did this to his son because of my sin. And here's the amazing part. I don't know, maybe there's 25, 25 of us here tonight. If it was just you and I. Actually, if you were the only person in Brookfield, if you were the only person in Connecticut, if, if Jimmy here was the only person in the United States, if he was the only person in the world, God would have done that if you were the only person who ever existed. If it was just you. A lot of times we think he did it for us. We sing us. He died for us. And, and, and Christ died for, for our sins. And, and we like it in a big group. But maybe tonight, for the first time, you'll realize if it was just you that only existed on earth, you could look at that cross and say, he was there because of my sins. And God did that to his son because of me. And you could be saved. You could know your sin. Not the guy next to you. Not us. You could know it. You'd say, I don't know. That's something. Could I be sure of that? Could I know that forever? You could. Because the Bible says it. I keep on bringing you back to this because if you're depending on a feeling, feelings will change tomorrow. If you're depending on what your mom told you, what your mom tells you could change tomorrow. I, I remember growing up, I, I always wanted to be saved and I always wanted my dad to tell me I was saved. And you know, my dad never told me that. And I always wanted to be saved and I always wanted the preacher to tell me that I'm saved, because if a preacher told me that, then that would be tremendous. But you know what? The only thing that matters tonight is that if you're saved, and God knows it. If God knows it tonight, that's the only thing that matters. And so I ask you, if you're saved tonight, does God know it? And you say, I don't know if he knows it. Well, let me ask you this. 
Do you know you're saved because of what God has said? Because of what the Bible says? Our verse tonight said it so simply. Surely, this is a guarantee. This is absolutely sure. Surely, he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. The sin that was inside of me, forget about the sin that was out there, the sin that was in here. In this heart, he did it. He picked it up. He took it. He bore it to Calvary. We thought when we saw him on the cross that he was being crushed because he deserved it. But we had it all wrong. He was being crushed. He was dying because of my sins, because of me. He was my substitute. He died instead of me. And so it's a great verse to start with, surely. It's a guarantee tonight. You say, I want to be, I want to be nice. Someone, someone once told me, I remember, I remember being at the back of me, and someone said, Dave, I'm 96% sure how many people would like to be 96% sure? Forget about it. I, I wouldn't want your 96% sure if you sold it to me. I wouldn't want your 99. I don't want it. It's worthless. Because I don't believe in a God who's 99%. I believe in a God who's 100%. I believe in a cross that it took care of 100% of my sins. I believe in a Bible that is 100% true. And so if you want salvation tonight, you get the 100% salvation and don't get anything else because God only offers the 100% salvation. And he offers it because his son died for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. And you could know that tonight because the Bible tells us it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He tells us this. That Christ died for our sins. That this man bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That he has picked them up and that he has carried them away. You could believe that and you could be saved. One, zero, zero percent. Because that's the only salvation that God offers tonight. You could have that. And it would be a wonderful thing because no one can take that away from you. It's guaranteed by God. It's offered by Him. No one can remove it. It's permanent. It's a lifetime guarantee. It's an eternity of guarantee. And you could have that tonight because God offers it. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son. We're thankful tonight for uh, the scriptures that we've been reading that even the Lord Jesus could have read when he was here in this world. Think of how wonderful it would have been for him to open up his Bible and to read these words when he was here on earth about himself. And yet we could say he still looked forward to the time when he would die on that cross and he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. We're thankful, Lord, though, that we stand here tonight and we know it's all finished, every part of it, we pray, Lord, that there will be someone here tonight that would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They would realize they don't have to go up into heaven or go down into hell to bring Christ up, but that they can confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead and they can be saved. So we ask to bring us home safely. We look to the Lord to give us another opportunity tomorrow night, Lord willing, to preach this same wonderful message. And this we ask in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions uh, and you want to talk to me, you can do that. If I put my hymn book up here. Or not. Under your Bible. Uh, if you have any questions and you want to talk to me,